Good morning. Take your Bibles, please, and open them to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is our text. All week long, I've been looking up here at the platform and the, the covered wagon and the general store and the cacti, and I just thought, you know, the most appropriate wardrobe selection seems to be a pineapple shirt. So I wore that today. I am very, very thankful that uh, Pastor Jim drew attention to the satanic flies that live up here on the stage uh, because I have been hassled by them every single time I spoke. And I tell you what, after, after the fact that now you guys know they exist up here, if I suddenly stop talking and I'm moving very slowly, I'm about to exercise dominion, okay? I am... <laughs> I am going to put God's created world in its created place, and uh, hopefully there'll be one less fly, so uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens there, but Genesis chapter 1 is where we are this morning. This week, week we're looking at the topic of in the beginning God, and for two, week, or two days, uh, we looked at the created world. And now we are going to begin looking at the creation of man. We left off with a little bit of a, a cliffhanger yesterday as we got to day six of creation. And so that's where we're going to pick it up in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Follow along in your Bibles or on your device as I read, please. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the flies in the chapel, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over everything that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with the seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation." Heavenly Father, thank you for this text of Scripture. Thank you for the, the privilege to study it and be reminded of its great truth. 
I thank you that we can gather here at camp and, and spend a week together fellowshipping and, and enjoying the bond of Christ. Thank you for uh, the food, the weather we've had, the activities we've enjoyed, uh, for the fun, the skits, the messages, the challenges. Uh, Lord, thank you for the reminders that we've heard from, from Pastor Jim. Thank you for the opportunity to have the kids in, in classes and, and have truth communicated to them, even just the, the privilege of, of lifting our voice in song. Lord, all of these things have been a reminder to us of the many, many good gifts that you have given to us. And uh, Lord, I just pray even now this morning, uh, as we lean into this text, as we begin to study the creation of mankind, that you would help me to clearly communicate for your glory. Uh, Lord, it is your perfect word and it is your perfect spirit that I am relying on today. Uh, it is not me, uh, it is not my words, it is not my study that can ever change a heart or a life, but Lord, the truth of your word is powerful. And I pray that it would make a difference to those who hear it this morning. So encourage us and bless us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're in the book of Genesis, that book of beginnings, and we're studying the creation of the world, uh, simply chapters 1 and 2 this week. And as we get started this morning, I want to ask the question, what is important to you? What is important to you? And I want you to think about that for a minute, and I want you to come up with uh, either one or two things, if, if it's more than that, a very short list. Just think of a few things that are important to you. And I wonder this morning, if I were to put you on the spot and to ask you, what is important to you, would what you say is important line up with the way you live? I think all of us know that if we're, if we're asked that question, whether we're husbands or, or wives or moms or dads or whether we're single, whether we're Christians, whether we have jobs, whether we work in the home or out of the home, whether we're highly involved in our church or not, whatever, whatever we're doing in life, we have a, a set of priorities that we know should be there in our lives. But what we say and what we do does not always line up. And so I could ask you, what is important to you? And you could give me all the right answers. My relationship with the Lord, my church, my marriage, my family, being a good testimony at my job. You could say all of the right things, but if I had the opportunity to, to follow you home, to follow you back into your normal life and into your neighborhood, would what you say and what you do tell the same story? I'd be the first to admit that I could probably come up with a, a really good sounding list of what is important to me. And it wouldn't take you much time at all to see that there are days that I, I don't prioritize my relationship with the Lord the way I should. I, I don't make my wife uh, the object of my service like Christ as I should. I don't love her like Christ loved the church. I don't love and lead my children as consistently as I would like to. But as we look at this text of Scripture today, we see that God's words and God's works perfectly reveal what he holds as valuable and important in creation. God's words and his works match perfectly. Perfectly. 
and what the answer to that question is. What does God hold as important? The answer to that question is us. Us. Men and women. Mankind. Humans. He holds us as important. That is mind-boggling as we remember and consider the size and the scope of the universe from yesterday, but it is biblically undeniable. The text that we, see, that we study today shows us it is biblically undeniable that God places his importance and a, and a premium, a value, and a focus on mankind like he does not the rest of creation. I want you to listen to this carefully. Listen for a moment. Mankind suffers so many evils. Mankind suffers so many evils because we do not get our basic place in God's design correct. We do not understand the basic reality of our place in God's design. In pride, we may try to rise above our creator, or in false humility, we may try to sink to the level and say, we're nothing different than all of the rest of the created order. But that is not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that we are created by God, but we are created uniquely by God. And understanding this is so important for us to engage rightly with our world. So if you take away a big idea this morning, I hope it's this, that, that mankind, man, humans, man is unique in God's creation. Man is unique in God's creation. The text shows great care the author is very intentional. The theme of blessing reoccurs and, and even starts to ramp up a little more as we read these verses. And it's showing us textually, textually, this, this is highlighting for us man's uniqueness in God's creation. So let's look this morning, first of all, at the pinnacle of God's creation. The pinnacle of all of God's creation. Verse 26 of chapter 1 says this. I don't know if you caught it. I know we've been studying this text over several days. But look at verse 26. What's the first phrase? Then God said. Let your eyes go back over the other verses and the other days. That is different than the way the other days started. I know it's just one word, God said, or the text says, and God said, and God said, and God said. And this verse, it says, then God said. And there is actually an intentional change here. The wording is, is reflecting something that is different. Then God said. Right after that, it doesn't say that, boom, here is what God said to create. No, it's not just God's divine command to create. What we have instead of a divine action is a divine deliberation. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Now we do not take this verse as an explicit reference to the doctrine of the Trinity. There is debate whether this is a uh, a communication among the Godhead, whether this is a heavenly host conversation 
And I'm not trying to settle that here this morning, but what we do see is that it is clearly different than the other verses. And God said, let there be. Just boom, one right after another. Divine word followed by divine action. When it comes to creating man, there's intentional planning. And God said, let's do this. Let's make man in our image. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Image and likeness are words that reinforce each other. It's emphasizing the point of what God is doing. And image and likeness do not mean sameness. Let's make man in our image. Let's make man in our likeness. That does not mean let's make other little gods. Understanding how we are made in the image of God is, is essential for us to understand our purpose in this world, our destiny in this world, and our relationships with God and in the world. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? We could study that phrase, we could study that idea for a very, very long time. So I'm just going to give you a, a summary answer. Here are a few things. First of all, being made in the image of God means we are distinct from the rest of creation. We are distinct from the rest of creation. We are not highly evolved animals. We are not just at the top of the food chain and we fought hard to get there, okay? That is not what this means. We are distinct. Number two, we are fit for dominion. We are fit for dominion over the rest of creation. Now, I do understand that that can be used and abused. What mankind does with his environment can reflect well what it means to take dominion, or it can reflect poorly. There can be a proper stewardship or a poor stewardship, but God has given us what we need to exercise dominion over creation. Number three, being made in the image of God means we are made for communion with the creator. We are made for communion with our creator. God made mankind to be in relationship with him. That is unique. God made mankind to be in relationship with him. His creation glorifies him. It points to him. The universe is his calling card, but God made mankind distinct and unique to be in divine relationship with him. Listen, I, I have a dog, and, and I enjoy my dog. I, I like my dog, and maybe several of you here this morning have a dog as well. Look, there's me and my dog back when I had hair. Not really. That is not me and my dog. That is just a picture of a dog. But there is a limit to the relationship that I can have with my dog. I am not a dog parent, okay? You will not see that bumper sticker on my minivan, all right? I don't have fur babies. And those of you who do, The filter caught something this morning, hon. Look at that. 
We were made to be in relationship with God. I can enjoy creation. I can enjoy a pet. I can enjoy an animal. I can enjoy being out hunting or or being in the woods. But that is not the same as being in relationship with God. I've almost been a pastor long enough to have the boldness to say this, you know, when somebody says, well, I can worship just as well in the woods as I can at church. No, you can't. It's not the same. You were made to be in relationship with God and worship God individually and corporately. And when the corporate body gathers, you should be there worshiping because God made you for that. The imago dei, the image of God upon us, also means that we were made with a likeness of God. A likeness. We are made in his image and in his likeness. Now, what does that mean? How far does that go? Or to what extent do we have the likeness of God? Well, first of all, we see mentally. Mentally, our ability to reason and to make choices reflects God's intellectual freedom. God has given us mentally a likeness. We can reflect, we can make choices, we have a freedom. Morally, morally, we also share likeness with God. We were created righteous and innocent, which reflects God's perfect holiness. This is the way we were originally created. We were created righteous and innocent. Again, this is a reflection. You'll see me use that word reflection all three times here. We don't have it exactly as God has it, but we have a likeness. We see this in our conscience. Our conscience reflects this moral likeness with God. But yes, it has been corrupted and, and it has been affected, it has been infected, we could say. Uh, it's, it's not completely broken, it's not completely gone. Some people's consciences may not be uh, as tuned as others. Some people's consciences can be tuned incorrectly. But we do have a moral compass that reflects the image of God, but we must completely be aware that it is corrupted and fallen by sin My apologies to Jiminy Cricket. We cannot always let our conscience be our guide. That would not be good. So mentally and morally, we have likeness. And socially, the human longing for relationship reflects God's nature and his love. The human longing for relationship. God has made us to desire that. Now look, I'm not just talking about personality here because especially in a crowd this size, I know that there are some of you who your favorite person to be with is you, okay? And you like, you maybe like two other people in the whole world, okay? And then there are people like my daughter. She comes running up to us all the time. I made a new friend. What's their name? I don't know yet. I've just made them my friend. She, the more people she meets, the more people she can be around, the better. She can play all afternoon with her friends, and when it's time to leave, she's a puddle of tears because she only got to play for seven and a half hours. <laughs> the social longing for human relationships, whether you, whether you realize that, whether you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert or not, there is something within humanity that, that longs for that shared relationship. Relationship. 
Yes, again, the image of God in man was damaged by sin, but it, was, it is not destroyed. It is not destroyed. It's not gone. And what Jesus Christ is doing is redeeming, and he will completely one day restore all of these things. Mentally, morally, socially, we will be back in the Garden of Eden. We will be back enjoying all of those things to their fullest, most God-glorifying extent. And boy, do we look forward to that day. And God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. The end of verse 26 says, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. I want you to notice this very carefully. Man is given dominion by God. Man is given dominion by God over the rest of creation. God made this decision, and this authority equals responsibility. God has said, take dominion. I am giving it to you. I have created it. I am giving it to you. It is now, therefore, a responsibility and a stewardship that we are entrusted with. Verse 27 says this, so God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Now I want to ask you a question, raise your hand if in either your Bible or whatever device you're using, that text, verse 27, is kind of set out a little different. Is there, is there space around it? Does anybody have that? Raise your hand. Okay, a few of you. That is intentional by the translators. Because this is a summary statement. This verse is dripping with significance, telling us that God has placed on his creation mankind. That word created, that that special word for the creative act of God, not not making or baking things out of pre-existing materials, but that that word created that points to God activity, that that, that phrase, the image of God, is repeated. And and male and female, this this further, fuller description of, of all that God is doing is summarized and compressed into this one word. We'll talk about that male and female in chapter two in a little bit. But he says, God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We can read right over that word, but it is just packed. The author took all of these words and all of these significance and he said, look, of everything that's been made, of all that God has created, there is significance and there is something special about mankind. Verse 28, and God blessed them. This is so important. And God blessed them and God said to them, notice again, he's talking to them. This ties into what we'll talk about later with, with male and female. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over every living thing. God blesses them. God speaks to them. God gives them a job to do. There are two genders, but they are both God's image bearers. 
They are both uniquely made in his likeness. They both have equal worth and they both have equal responsibility to fulfill God's design. This summary verse points to both the man and woman and holds them with the equal weight of God's creative focus and then, and then bestows on them the dominion that God has given and then God commands upon them their responsibility as his creation. Folks, this, this verse right here, verse 27 and verse 28 Pastor Jim has been unpacking that for us over the last two days. The roles and the responsibilities, they, they, they look different. They, they have a different uh, effect on whether you're a male or a female. Yes, we see that unpacked. But from the very beginning, God created them male and female equally worthy as his image bearers. And if that is not a fundamental truth that could do our world some good today, I don't know what is. Grasp the goodness of that statement. God made man and woman in his image. That's a wonderful truth. Verse 29 says, and God said, behold, I've given you, I want you to watch the words that I emphasize here. And God said, behold, I have given you Every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with its seed in it for fruit and you shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food and it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. We have five children, and uh, we, we've just started to hear and, and understand some of the terms, you know, have you heard the, the helicopter parent? You heard that term, right? Uh, the snowplow parent. Helicopter parents always hovering, making sure nothing bad happens. The snowplow parent is, is plowing the way, making sure there's no obstacles uh, for their children. Uh, you see those commercials on TV sometimes, you know, the, the first baby versus the, the, the third baby or whatever it is. You know, the first baby, you got to use a gallon of hand sanitizer before you can hold the child. The third baby, the mom's like passing him off to the mechanic and saying, here, hold my kid for me, you know. If you've got more than one kid, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. You've got 4,000 pictures of your firstborn, 2,000 of your secondborn, and no photographic evidence that your thirdborn even exists. <laughs> As we look at these verses, it's almost like we could say, Lord, are you, God, are, are, you, are you a helicopter parent? Every, every, I've given you everything. I've given everything to you. I've given everything to my creation. We read right over that, folks, but what I want you to see is the emphasis on those two verses, verses 29 and 30, is that God, the creator, is both gracious and generous to his creation. He is gracious and generous to his creation. The heavenly Father gave them everything they needed. 
Look, we're not going to get there, and so I won't preach a mini-series here, but I want you to understand, if you read farther into Genesis chapter 3, there is absolutely no basis for God to be accused of some kind of cruelty in putting the tree of knowledge of good and evil before them and saying, don't touch that. Pastor Jim made that point the other day as well. I wish I could have a Bible college that only had one rule. God, in his gracious favor, lavished upon his creation absolutely everything they needed. And they still failed. We see this morning in the first part of this text, the pinnacle of God's creation is mankind. The second thing we see is God's final verdict. Verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. What was formless had been formed. What was empty had been filled. God surveyed his creation and he spoke, behold, it is very good. It is very good. The sixth day, the cycle closes distinct from the other with God's final verdict of it being very good. Verse one of chapter two says this, thus the heavens and the earth were finished Again, we have more geocentric language here as God takes the entire universe that he has made and focuses on earth. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all of the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all of the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from the work that he had done in creation. Another indication of God's good care and grace for us is the significance of this seventh day. As you read verses 1, 2, and 3, there's a textual emphasis once again on the, the idea or the, the word seventh, the seventh. It's emphasized three times. And what is emphasized along with it is what God did. What did God do on the seventh day? Well, the first thing that God did was God finished God finished. Go all the way back to verse one of chapter one, and what does it say? God began. God started something in the beginning. But now God has finished his creative work, and this is an important marker of the temporal nature that God has put upon the universe. God existed outside of time. God existed in eternity, and he began something, and now he's saying, I finished that, so boom, there you go. There's your created week. God himself is showing us time. There will be days, there will be uh, weeks, there will be months and years. This is important. God finished what he had done. Second thing, God rested. God rested. Well, what in the world does that mean? Was God worn out? Was God tired from his creative work? Just before we came up here to camp, uh, we, we did some work on a deck on the back of our house. And it's a pretty big deck. It's about 20 by 25. And uh, we needed to replace all of the deck boards. So the, the lighter boards that you see there, that's what's new. And the frame and the structure was, was mostly okay. We had to do some repairs. Uh, but I tell you what, nothing reminds you that you have a desk job uh, like three days of manual labor until 1030 at night. And I had some friends helping with me because I am not a deck builder. So don't come up here and ask me for advice. I just uh, swiped the credit card and did what they told me to do. 
But that was hard work. And I was tired at the end of my days of work. The way we use that word rested usually has that idea. We're going to kick our feet up. We're going to lean back. We're going to go on vacation. We're going to go up to camp and we're going to take it easy. If Willie would quit giving us daddy, you know, children activities where you have to run around for half an hour. We want to rest. This is not the same idea of this word. When it says that God rested, this is a rest of achievement. This is rest of success, not rest of inactivity. God is resting because he has completed. God is enjoying. God has accomplished his work, and now he's celebrating. A better picture for that word would be the second picture of our deck. This is later on after the project was done, and we got everything put back, and that's the very night we finished, and there we are as a family sitting and enjoying our deck. We're resting on the new deck. It's done. And now we can enjoy it. And God is sitting back and he's looking at his creation. He's looking at his accomplishment. He's not worn out. He's not tired. He does not need a day of rest. But he is celebrating what he has accomplished. God finished. God rested. And then we see God blessed and sanctified the seventh day as well. This blessing is important. We see the words that he made it holy, he made it sanctified, he he set it apart for a purpose. Um, that's, That's an important concept to understand all throughout scripture, God setting things apart for himself. And if you just need the most simple, basic illustration of that, uh, if you if you think of a toothbrush, I hope, I think, I assume most of you have a toothbrush that is sanctified for you, right? I grew up in a large family, you know, that five second rule, it's more like the five minute rule, you know, just if it doesn't have any visible dirt or hairs on it that can't be brushed off, it's still edible, all right? And if whoever's next to you doesn't want their food, that might be, you know, gone in a second because you're going to eat it. I, I am not a germaphobe. I'm whatever the opposite of that is, you know, I love to kiss my wife. I love her germs. They're tasty. (laughs) But we don't share a toothbrush. I I don't have a problem with with sharing food with my children. I I don't have a problem picking up something. You know, if if the line is long and the brat fell on the ground, pick it up, blow it off, put more ketchup on it. (laughs) But the toothbrush is like, that's mine, Okay. The toothbrush is set apart for my use. The tooth part, tooth, tooth part, the toothpaste goes on my toothbrush and I don't share it. It is set apart for me. The seventh day was sanctified and set apart by God for a purpose. And again, we could preach an entire sermon on what the Sabbath means, but you need to understand that God's God's graciousness again, his giving good things to his creation is seen in giving us the Sabbath. In the New Testament, Jesus said it this way in Mark 2.27. He said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Gift is God's rest. Uh, Rest is God's gift to you. Rest is something that is a gracious part 
of God's creative order. So we see, uh, we see that God has made man the pinnacle of his creation. We see God's final verdict. And then as we wrap up here today, what do we learn from creation? What do we learn from creation? We learn that God uniquely created mankind for his own glory. God uniquely created mankind for his own glory. One of the commentaries I read said it this way, the crown of God's handiwork is human life. Again, there is so much, there is so much damage and there is so much danger in our world today because we don't grasp, believe, and defend that created truth. Human life is the crown of what God has made. And it should be protected and defended at all stages and in all ways from conception to natural death. God is uniquely created in mankind, uh, God uniquely created mankind for his own glory. This is the emphasis, this is the focus, this is the longest description is reserved for day six in the creation of man. Why? We already saw it, but I'm gonna read it again. It's so good. What did the psalmist say in Psalm 8? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. Notice, what's the focus? The focus is God. It's on him, it's on him. He is majestic to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and all oxen. Why did God do that? And the, and the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. For the sake of God's own majesty and glory, he set his image upon us. He gave us dominion and we worship him and we are in relationship with him because this pleases and glorifies him. And if you're not living in light of that reality today, if you're not worshiping the God who made you today, please be warned and please be aware that one day the day will come, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Bow before your good and gracious creator today. What we learn from creation is that God uniquely created mankind for his own glory. We also learn that God created his world to be enjoyed. God made it and fashioned it. God made the earth for his, for his creatures. He made it specifically for us. He has given it to us for our provision and for our enjoyment. He has commanded us to fill and to subdue the earth. God has given us all things graciously and generously to be enjoyed. He's given us those gifts and we are blessed to receive them and we are accountable to steward them well. What else do we learn from creation? We learn that God created mankind for relationship with him 
and rest in him. We have been created for relationship with him and rest in him. This is a familiar quote. You've probably heard it before. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. We have so many discussions at our house with little kids about what is it made for? Pounding that nail into that piece of board with daddy's cell phone is not what it was made for. (laughs) Throwing that particular toy uh, across the room and playing catch with it and all of its pointy edges is not what it was made for. The laundry basket is not a slide to go down the stairs. Yes, I know dad did that when he was little, but it didn't end well. What happens when we use things, when we mismanage things, they they are not used in the way that they are made for, they get damaged, they get broken, they do not function as they ought. Listen to me this morning, please, listen. You were made for relationship with God. That's why you were made. Do you have that relationship with God? Has there been a time in your life where you realize that your sin against a holy creator has separated you from him? And there's nothing you can do, no church services that you can go to, no amount of good works that you can accomplish yourself to bridge the gap back to him. But in his love and his grace, he sent his one and only son to take your place, to die the death you didn't want and to live the life you couldn't live and that by faith in him, you might have forgiveness and eternal life. That's what you were made for. And God is inviting you back to that. Even after your sin broke it, he is inviting you back to him at his own expense. And if you live for anything else, you are not living for the purpose for which you were made. And you will only find yourself damaged and broken and disappointed because God made you for himself. And your heart will not rest until you rest in him. You were made for relationship with God. Sin separates that relationship, but praise the Lord, Jesus saves that relationship. There's so many other applications we could make to the Sabbath to prayer, to devotions, to to church. Everything in all created order includes divinely ordained rest. Are you resting? The psalmist said in Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You are God's unique creation. God created his world to be enjoyed. And God made you for relationship with him. I hope you'll remember that today. How do you respond to this? That's my challenge as we wrap up here. Just simple truth. This is what creation tells us. We are created by God. That's a simple truth. We are created in the image of God. That's a significant truth. We are created male and female. That's an important truth. We are created to have dominion, stewardship, and accountability That's a heavy truth. And our creator deserves our love, our worship, and our obedience. 
and our trust. That's an encouraging, very encouraging truth. So believe and obey. Believe and obey. You are uniquely made for God and his eternal plan and purpose, so submit your life to him. Worship and be thankful. Be thankful, be amazed. Look around at what God has given to you and respond with gratitude and worship and delight and take responsibility. This world, the world in which we live, all that is in it, all that has been broken by sin is still bearing the fingerprints of God's design. And we still have a responsibility to it. God has made us the recipients of his good and gracious gifts, so steward them and steward them well. Your marriage, your family, your job, your homes, your church, all of those things that should be on the list of what is important to you are God's gracious gifts to you. So enjoy them, delight in them, and steward them well for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your graciousness Thank you for your kindness to us and all of the good things that you've given. Lord, I do pray that we would see and understand ourselves as uniquely made in your image and for your glory. And Lord, may that truth propel us closer to you, worshiping you and thanking you for your goodness. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.